0: Good morning, everyone. I'd like to call this meeting to order. This is Alameda County Board of Supervisors, Public Protection Committee meeting for Thursday, February twenty second, 2024. I apologize for the delay. If I can um, please ask the clerk to start with the announcement for in-person and remote participation, and then we'll move on to the roll call.
1: In-person participation the meeting site is open to the public. If you'd like to speak on an item, please fill out a speaker's card in the front of the room and pass it to the clerk. For remote participation, the teleconferencing guidelines are available at www.acgov.org teleconferencing guidelines. Public protection, if you'd like to speak on an item uh, for the remote participation, please use the raise your hand function at the appropriate time. Thank you. And the roll call, please. For roll call, Supervisor Marquez. Present. Supervisor Miley. <laughs> Present. Thank you.
0: Great. Um, thank you so much, everyone that's joining us in person, as well as remotely. i um, like to thank all the stakeholders that are participating in this discussion. Um, I'm going to call, already called the meeting to order, but also just want to let the public know that the Alameda County Public Defenders post convict Conviction unit update will be continued to a future meeting date as the public defender is no longer able to present this morning. Um, We're gonna move forward with our agenda for item number two. This is a presentation and discussion of draft ordinance implementing AB 1185, including a Sheriff Oversight Board Office of Inspector General and Inspector General. Um, Please join me in welcoming our presenter today, Chief Assistant County Counsel, Andrea Weddle from the Office of the County Council. Before we begin, I want to acknowledge and appreciate the immense amount of community engagement that has brought us to this critical step towards establishing Sheriff's Oversight Body in Alameda County. Respectfully, I ask that we allow our presenter to provide a complete update and write down any questions that may arise to share afterward. And now I'd like to turn it over to the Board President and my Public Protection Committee colleague, President Supervisor Miley for any additional comments before we hear today's presentation.
2: Uh, Thank you. I have no comments at this moment, but I will have comments later. Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: So we will now commence with item number two. Uh,
3: Good morning, members. Thank you for the opportunity to present t- today on the issue of the um, sheriff's oversight. Um, included in your packet and distributed to the public as an attachment to your agenda was a draft ordinance dated uh, February 13, 2024. Uh, the ordinance is based upon a number of different source materials. So as a, as a foundational matter, the, the ordinance was drafted keeping in mind California constitutional provisions, state law provisions, including case law and attorney general opinions, um, as well as the Alameda County Charter and Administrative Code. Um, Discretionary decisions were uh, directed primarily by the report from uh, former Chief Steele that your board um, adopted at your uh, meeting, I believe, in in the fall of last year as a, a directional standpoint from, I think it was the September 19th. 2023 meeting um, so the contents of the ordinance are, are driven in large measure by those various documents and in particular the still report um, our office has tried to remain you know, fairly neutral in making decisions and referring to the report itself but there are there remain a few areas where clarification is required and further direction is necessary so um, the ordinance is on the screen and i will uh, try to to move through it in a um, a regular pace but if there are any particular areas or questions you have certainly please do stop me and we'll engage and try to respond to that um, so the recitals themselves which are on the first page of the ordinance uh, really do uh, tie back into setting again the basic foundation of state law and the relationship between your board and the sheriff's office and other functions as they are guided um, I do not cite the state law provisions but uh, each of these recitals really tracks back to a particular statute or constitutional provision, uh, including the section on the charter which says, how do we adopt and create and form boards and commissions, and that is by ordinance. So those are are the general provisions. Okay, section one of the ordinance is where the the main uh, action occurs. The newly formed or newly created and codified chapter 2.134 relates to the sheriff's oversight board in the following sections you'll see section two where we address the office of the inspector general and in that same section we also include um, the inspector general position itself so each of those is a separate provision and they have some interrelated na- nature as they as they progress and, and as they're developed so you see that, that the board establishes the oversight commission as we begin in, in point 0.010 um, that is using your authority in government code 25303.7, sub A, sub 1, which says that you may create an oversight board, um, and that is AB, where AB 1185 is codified. Everyone continues to refer to AB 1185, but it is now government section 25303.7, and the preceding section 25303 is the one where you are given certain authority over the sheriff's um, and, and district attorney to do um, to, to supervise them. And so this body is created for the purposes of assisting you in performing your duties in 25303. Uh, the formation is uh, driven by how many members, and that, again, is in the still report. At various sections of the still report, the recommendation was for there to be seven members, and, and that was, of course, followed and, and included in the ordinance um, at various pages of the report, including... Um, Page 48 you'll find references to the seven members that are are recommended as well as the um, uh, Process for how they're created and that is with five members coming one from each of your supervisorial districts And then the other two being appointed by your board as is required by the statute 25303.7 a sub 2 says that your board shall appoint the members and so where we have an advisory committee that is referenced in the next subsection C, that advisory selection panel makes uh, nominations to you through their process, um, but you make the actual appointments, as is required by state law. So the, the nominating or the advisory five-member panel is another panel that you will have to establish and appoint the members of that, that particular group. Um, their sole duty is to select others that they will nominate to you. And and then you will, again, appoint the remaining two positions on on the seven-member oversight board panel. They have to provide you with at least two nominees so that you can have a selection. You're not required to accept any of their nominees and can send them back and and ask them to start over, or you can accept all of their nominees. Uh, They may come with more than two, but they have to provide at least two. They have a, a period of 60 days to complete their process. And as a vacancy arises for their two positions, um, they will repeat the same process over time. The term provisions are established in uh, the Still Report, in particular, uh, page 54 is a good spot to look at where they reference the proposal that there be uh, four-year terms for the members, um, but that there be a cap which is consistent with your board operating procedures that provide for um, no more than three full terms uh, with a cap of 12 years, which can be waived by your board as is the standard in your operating procedures, your current operating procedures. As we all know, those procedures are under uh, consideration for revision. Um, the terms are to be staggered, which is very consistent with uh, typical county process. Um, the staggering would have uh, a majority of the members serving an initial four-year full term and three of the members serving an initial two-year term. Um, I I am not uh, certain of the process for staggering or how the clerk of the board uh, handles that process and have inquired uh, of them for a further uh, description of of if they draw lots or how they handle that particular procedure. Um, In some of our ordinance code provisions, some commission uh, members are expressly spelled out for seats one through 21 or however member seats there are and the, the seats themselves are called out as in which ones are staggered for four years and which are staggered in three years if your work board wants to be that prescriptive that is certainly something that is allowable that we could delve into um, and, and again the the staggering is a fairly common uh, approach that we take in, in many of our boards and commissions Uh, vacancies in the oversight board are filled in the same manner as you would fill any other appointment that is true for the advisory panel as well as for your own board subsection F of this provision says that the members serve at the pleasure of your board and are removed at any time by a majority vote of the Board of Supervisors that language is taken from the administrative code section 2.64040 which expressly states that notwithstanding any other provision of law, this particular provision is true and controls. So even if we were to delete that section, the other provision of the admin code would control um, the replacement and and removal of of the particular members if need be. In subsection G, um, the language provides that your board will select the chair of the commission from the various seven members. That is a mandate in the um, AB 1185 code, Uh, in in particular subsection A2, says that the board shall designate one member to serve as the chair. So that is is, um, taken directly from the statutory enabling authority. Um, The language that says that the chair serves as the oversight board liaison um, to your your board of supervisors and and also uh, works with the inspector general um, it is not in, embedded in the code, but it is contained in the still report, and I apologize I don't have the precise citation for that. Subsection eight talks about a quorum, so this is a fairly standard position uh, provision that a, a quorum would be a majority. Um, if you would, would like to establish a supermajority of the quorum, you could do that. Uh, there's no magic about this particular provision, so there's some discretion built into how they would function. In addition... Uh, the action by uh, a majority of those in attendance is a discretionary point. Um, I do not believe this section was taken from the Still Report, uh, but this is is not an unusual provision. It would allow for a seven-member board that a quorum would be four members, and then with a majority of those in attendance required to act, that would mean at least three individuals would have to take affirmative action for the commission to take any action. Um, because you must have four for a quorum, a majority of the four would be three of those in attendance. Um, Any fewer and they would not have a quorum and they could not take action. So that is an area where you have some discretion should you like to make any changes to that, Um, but be mindful of certainly of the voting requirements and their ability to get um, a quorum present. The next section, sub I, is one where we probably need some guidance from from your board, uh, whether today or in the future. And it relates to the membership uh, criteria or eligibility uh, for the various oversight board members. This language is taken from the STIL report. Um, I believe page 54 is is a starting point. Um, There may be others. Sometimes the recommendations are summarized and, and continued, but there is full on discussion. So the language regarding residency is in fact taken from the report and it essentially says that members must, cannot be non-residents of these counties. So the ordinance language sort of reverses it and says that they shall be residents of the listed counties in the Bay Area. It's within your discretion to continue that or change that on a, on a go-forward basis. Um, the, the following sentence where it says uh, no person, or this is the disqualifying provision, uh, may be members if they are a current employee of the county, again taken directly from the report, a current employee of a law enforcement agency. Um, so that is a little broader than what state law would require. A uh, current employee would encompass both sworn and non-sworn members of the local law enforcement agency, whether it's a city agency or the county's uh, sheriff's office. Um the uh, enabling statute provides that the Oversight Board is to be a civilian oversight body, and the term civilian is to traditionally defined as excluding individuals of both the military and local law enforcement. So the exclusion of sworn members is directly consistent with the, the terms of the, uh, of the enabling statute. Expanding it to non-sworn is a discretionary decision on your uh, the same is true of the provision regarding former employees of the sheriff's office, um, and that again includes both sworn and non-sworn individuals. Um, the area where we have some questions and would suggest that there may be some need for some guidance is the language regarding the exclusion or disqualification of a party and, or their legal counsel in pending litigation adverse to the county of Alameda. That is fairly broad, and that may be your intention, and if so, the, the language will hold. Uh, but that would include legal proceedings that are wholly unrelated to the sheriff's office or any of its functions. Um, you know, we get claims and, and legal proceedings um, involving a, a broad spectrum of issues, and so this is fairly inclusive of all of those. Um, and there is also some vagueness regarding. Uh, the exclusion of legal counsel. And so the question I have is, was that intended to include um, attorneys who are, who are of record in that proceeding or all members of their law firm, including both attorneys, paralegals, and other staff? And so as drafted, it would be all-encompassing of those particular uh, categories of individuals. Um, it goes on to exclude... Uh, court-appointed mo- matter, uh, uh, monitors and matters involving the county. Um, so, for example, in the Babu litigation, there are court-appointed monitors. Uh, those individuals would clearly be excluded. Uh, but again, it is broad and does not, is not narrow in scope to uh, monitors related to sheriff's function versus, um, say, uh, those in the election realm or, or otherwise in litigation. Another area that is somewhat broad is the exclusion of uh, current contractors of the county. Again, not limited to those who are contractors in a particular field, but uh, the county has a large number of contractors, including nonprofits, CBOs, as well as for-profit entities. So that particular section is one where we think um, perhaps you may want to consider some narrowing. Uh, but that is, again, within your discretion. We are, we have drafted in accordance with the proposal and the re- uh, report that was adopted by your board. In subsection J, the language... I need to move on to the next page on the screen. But now we've gone too far. So subsection J speaks to the various meetings of the of the um, um, Oversight Board itself. Um, there's certainly flexibility here, and the Oversight Board itself may decide that they wish to have more meetings. Um, the report suggests that they should meet on a, on a calendar basis. Um, I will tell you that the annual meeting date is one that I selected, and so if there's a desire to change that, um, that would be... Um, that is a typical time when boards and commissions convene and do their, uh, their election of officers at an annual meeting in the month of January, establish their schedule for the following year consistent with the Brown Act, and, and do other activities. So they can choose another date, but each January they would still have certain activities that they would need to do to be in conformance with state law. Um, and at those annual meetings, that is when they would choose their vice chair because your board has already identified their chair. Um, subsection K, uh, as I understand it, is an area where there may be some concern. There are at least six references throughout the ordinance to the Office of the County of Council and our role in the process. Um, certainly, we, we understand and, and are well aware that this is a controversial subject, and uh, we are well aware that your board has not made a final decision regarding our role or participation in, in, the, um, in the process going forward. Um, you have directed us to draft the ordinance, and, and we are doing so. Um, so, at, at this provision, there again, there are several sections that refer to our, the office of the county council. Um, this first one is is to assist them, the oversight board, with the preparation of their rules and regulations as to how they conduct their business. Uh, that is something that we typically do with almost all of your boards and commissions as they become accustomed to the requirements of the Brown Act, the Public Records Act and various other legal obligations that they have for conformance with the law. So the next section, subsection L, is uh, is a reference to some of those requirements that they will have to be uh, compliant with. Uh, they are uh, listed in the Still Report as, as being subject to the Brown Act. That would be true whether or not we said so, uh, because it is a body that your board creates. Um, the same is true of the Public Records Act. That having been created by a legislative body, they are a local legislative body and and must comply with those particular obligations. Um, We do want to call out their obligation to be cognizant of uh, the police, uh, excuse me, the public safety officer's procedural bill of rights, often referred to as POBAR, um, because that would uh, have major consequences if we are not mindful of of the obligations of that act. And then the, the, the broad ranging reference to other applicable law. In subsection M, the language regarding the eligibility for a stipend comes directly from the Still Report, pages 48 through 9, as well as page 54, including the dollar amounts that that are established. Uh, The final sentence notices the um, obligations that are created by law upon the receipt of a particular stipend by a board member, and that includes various ethics and, and sexual harassment training requirements that are set forth in the government code. Um, if individual members choose not to accept a stipend, they likely are not subject to these obligations, but we would encourage them to be aware of and, and have this training and, and to meet these obligations as well. Subsection N is a provision that was not discussed in the Still Act, um, but given the role of this particular body, uh, we felt it important to include them in the, in the FPPC disclosure obligations as well. Um, Subsection O is, again, I believe there are some references in the report to requirements for training. It is not this uh, prescriptive. Um, This language, I believe, was taken from um, similar ordinances in the county of L.A., county of San Francisco, and others, where they encouraged that uh, this training occur so that the members were familiar and educated and aware of the process and the functions Of the sheriff's office and so that they could better perform their duties. There is a cross-reference here to the um, obligations of the executive director in the OIG's office to in fact design the the training program and to make it available to the the members on a regular basis. Um, Subsection P is an interesting clause. Uh, The Still Report, I believe, uh, stated that the sheriff uh, it may not be the report, I apologize, that uh, there is there was a prior draft ordinance by other advocates on this topic who were of the desire that the sheriff or senior member be compelled or mandated to attend these meetings. Um, as you know, there is always the ongoing uh, constraints between what your office can compel the sheriff to do and, and what the sheriff will do of their own voluntary nature. This is an area where we believe that you could not compel the sheriff to attend these meetings or to send someone to these meetings. Um, If you chose to include language that mandated their attendance, um, I do not believe they could be forced to attend. And I want to be clear that their attendance would be as non-voting members. They would be essentially there to respond and assist the board with any questions that they had. Um, They would not technically be oversight board members at all. And they would have uh, no eligibility for t- appearance in closed session or, or attendance in closed session absent other exceptions in the Brown Act. Um, but that issue is addressed, I believe, on page 51 of the steel report. So that's the, um, the sort of basic creation and formation of the Oversight Board. I wanted to pause here to see if you had any questions or concerns at this stage.
0: I'm actually going to hold my questions till the end, but I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.
3: Very good. So in the next section, 2134020, we start addressing the powers and duties of the oversight board itself. Um, I do want to sort of say that groundwork here was, again, in tracking the still report, but also being mindful of uh, constraints established by uh, the MMBA, which is essentially, you know, how do we work with the sheriff's office as a their deputies and others who are in various labor organizations and are protected by um, other obligations and how do we structure the role so that we don't invade the constitutional authority of the, um, the sheriff as a, an elected official being mindful of, of those particular obligations um, and yet still tracking the, the direction that is contained in the still report itself. So The oversight board is is in this section empowered to, and in fact directed with the shall mandatory language, um, either on its own or at the request of your board or the sheriff who might ask for certain of these activities to occur uh, without, again, interfering, this is the key phrase, without interfering with the sheriff's independent constitutional and statutory authority or the attorney general supervisory authority of the sheriff. Um, most folks don't understand that the California attorney general is in fact the supervisor of the sheriff when it, it uh, is involving um, particular law enforcement functions directly. It is not your board, it is the attorney general who, in, who directs all law enforcement officers um, statewide and issues directives and, and controls their uh, certain activities that they perform. And so we cannot interfere with those other... Uh, statutory and constitutionally based authorities. So, they, this subsection A starts out with uh, the, the right to review and analyze and solicit input and make recommendations on a broad range of things, including operational policies and procedures that affect the community um, and, and other provisions that uh, when they're responding to a request for recommendations. Subsection B speaks to soliciting input on systemic issues or complaints, not individual ones, but ones that are uh, more, more broad-ranging. Um, subsection C speaks to policies. Um, and, and when making policy recommendations, uh, the ordinance, tailored in somewhat along the realm of what, is, what occurs in LA and other jurisdictions, um, requires that they seek the sheriff's input before implementing or publishing reports. Um, it is often at that stage of the process where the sheriff may be able to say, um, hey, there are other things that you should take into consideration that might change the recommendation. And that uh, is reminiscent of, for example, the approach taken by the grand jury. Um, you know, the grand jury is required to solicit comments and inputs from the local entities that they investigate before they issue their, their public report. Um at the request of your board or the sheriff, they can serve, the board can serve as a mediator to help resolve disputes between the sheriff's office and the community. I think that will be an important function for them on a go-forward basis. Um, they are there to not only act as a bridge, but also uh, to provide a place for the community to provide uh, input and feedback back on specific instances of, of force and others that are, are very detailed in, in the um, board in itself and sub-E as well in sub-G. Um, again, they are to seek the sheriff's input prior to making recommendations to your board, as well as, again, issuing reports. So we want to make sure that there's a, um, a colloquy and a, a, an exchange between the sheriff and the oversight board so that both parties are allowed to have input on the other's activities, and, and hopefully um, well-informed reports and recommendations will come from them. They are to serve only in advisory capacity to your board, and they don't have the authority to manage the sheriff's office, and that is the same as your board because you don't have the authority to manage the sheriff's office in many areas, um, and so what authority they have is derivative of your authority, and so we want to make it clear that everyone understands that. Um, they can receive requests for inspections of jail facilities, and they can direct the uh, Office of the Inspector General to to perform and conduct those inspections, and that's an important tool going forward. Um, Subsections K, L, and M are, again, being mindful of the limitations of the MMBA, which is Government Code 3501 and following regarding uh, the role of wages, discipline, hours of work, and other conditions of employment that have to be dealt with in the labor management context. And it cannot be taken outside of that context. And we want to be careful um, that we don't end up with any PERB complaints, as, as did occur in Sonoma County. And they had to wrestle with those complaints for uh, some various years of litigation on a go-forward basis. So those are the authorities and powers, and, then, and there may be others that you want to include. Um, again, we've taken these from the Still Report and, and used some language from other jurisdictions, including <laughs> L.A. County, which has a fairly robust program. Uh, the remaining Section 030 speaks to the subpoena power of the Oversight Board. This is another area where our office is referenced, uh, but the language in this provision tracks the uh, statutory provision of subsection B of, of 25303, sub 7, uh, almost word for word regarding when uh, uh, subpoenas can be issued and and. Uh, and, and what authority that the, the oversight board has in that regard, that is statutory authority. Your board has now granted that authority onto the oversight board by this ordinance section. Uh, the following subsections B and, and C um, are reminiscent of the the need to make sure that once information is in fact obtained, that if it is confidential, otherwise protected, that it that there be a process in place so that that um, it is. Uh, Protected on an ongoing basis and not just upon receipt and, and improperly handled. So that, that uh, remains in play as well. Um, and then the process for sharing that confidential information, you know, there, there are provisions and various laws, whether it's HIPAA or otherwise, that do allow records to be shared. Um, but it is important that the Oversight Board and, and none of its members disclose confidential information in an improper basis, um, putting them both themselves and the county at risk for litigation. Uh, The Section 040 is is not included in the Still Report. It is language from L.A. County that uh, we felt was important. Um, And so there's language in in both the uh, Section 1 and Section 2 relates to the um, Inspector General and the Office of the Inspector General that directs, has your board directing that various county agencies cooperate with these new bodies and boards. And so there there is no uh, source material for that other than it comes from a different jurisdiction. Um, The annual report requirements and the independent evaluation requirements uh, come from the still report, pages 51 and 56, respectfully, and and so tracking that language on on a go-forward basis. So that moves us into section two, which is the uh, formation of the Office of the Inspector General. Um, The office is is established, uh, again, uh, as part of both the the Still Report and in in the uh, uh, enabling legislation. The Inspector General is to be the head of that agency. The Inspector General is appointed by your board, um, and they report directly to your board and are subject to your direction and control. This is a new office that will be formed countywide. That is, uh, as the folks sitting to my left will tell you, not an easy process. Uh, s- uh, standing up a new office includes a lot of details that have to be ascertained uh, that are not included in this ordinance, and obviously wouldn't um, everything from where do they be, where will they sit, what building will they be located in? You know, how do they have furniture and equipment and computers and all of those kinds of things? To how many employees will there be? And your board letter from September did include um, a a chart that listed potential positions. And and so I think those are being evaluated by uh, HR and the CEO's office to bring back to you at some point in time. Um, I do want to call out that subsection C says that the IG shall be selected and appointed by the Board of Supervisors. And the appointment by your board is mandated by... Uh, the enabling statute in subsection C1 that, that you appoint the Inspector General. Um, and how you select them and how you appoint them is a different issue. Um, but this will be a position that I believe will be in the classified civil service um, and, and uh, we'll have the, uh, those protections. Subsection D speaks to uh, the provision of and your board determining, in consultation with your newly identified Inspector General and the CAO's office, the appropriate staffing and budget for that office. I do want to call out in, in O2O, there is a reference in subsection C to an annual work plan. And so the intent was for uh, O1 and O2O um, regarding the budget to sort of speak to one another so that the process was envisioned as, Um, The inspector general coming forward with, here's my work plan for this year. Um, I think I need a budget of X to cover that work plan. And then your board would say, okay, we're in agreement with these elements of your work plan, and here's your budget to accomplish those tasks. Um, And so having that occur on an annual basis will help inform the annual budget process, and those two should work together. And that doesn't mean that things aren't not going to be added to the work plan, um, the inspector general should speak with your board on a regular basis there to report to your board and have contact with your board um, and, and would, would make that occur. I do want to say that this is, uh, this direct reporting to your board is slightly different than some of the other county agency heads um, who, if you look at our county org chart, there's the, the line where they run through the county administrative office instead of directly to your board, but your board obviously always has direct contact with agency heads as well. So um, in O2O, we have the powers and duties of the inspector general. Um, they are in some ways tracking what the oversight board authority had, and there's some cross-referencing um, so that when the oversight board says, hey, we want you to do a jail investigation, then there's a provision in in the ordinance that says they have the authority to to conduct investigations of the jail so that there's some uh, concurrence and and, and dovetailing of those particular functions. Um, They're to monitor the sheriff's office uh, while not interfering with uh, particular investigations but having an understanding of of what is occurring at the sheriff's office on a broad um, scope um, as well as monitoring uh, jail health services policies and procedures. Um, including behavioral health as well as uh, physical and mental health uh, processes as well. Um, It, it again, is important that they not interfere with active investigations, uh, but once an investigation is complete, they can certainly look at discipline and other actions that have occurred as a result of those investigations and audit those inspections and investigations after the fact, while not, um, as the language in subsection G says, supplementing and not supplanting or interfering with the sheriff's functions and duties in, in regard to their employees. Um, complaints, they, they accept complaints. They receive them anonymously as well as uh, by individuals who, who are not anonymous. Um, they are to refer complaints to the sheriff's office for them to do investigations as necessary um, and, and to transmit those to the um, oversight board as well. There There is a section I want to call out is subsection N, which references the ombudsman process. Um, The still report at uh, PAGE, sorry, I don't have that particular site. The still report suggested that the ombudsman be a full-time position created within the Office of the Inspector General. Um, In discussions that we have had, questions have arisen as to whether or not that function should be performed by the Office of the Inspector General, whether or not a full-time position is created to perform that function, um, leaving that up to the OIG to determine how that service would be provided. So subsection N provides that there would be the Ombudsman's services would be performed by the OIG's office, not that a position would be created. That does not mean that the Inspector General couldn't decide at some point in the future to create a position to do that, but it is not as prescriptive in the ordinance that you must have a particular position. Uh, there's a, a thought of, do we think that this service is warranting and, and requiring a, an FTE at this stage? So this draft leaves a uh, certain flexibility in that regard at this stage. And so certain of the other provisions, P and Q, again, relate to the whole issue of the MMBA and, and being mindful of those provisions. Um, 030 speaks to the, so that's the, the first. 020 is the powers and duties of the office itself. 030 are uh, particular to the inspector general and that individual's functions and duties. Uh, again, sub A has yet another reference to, uh, to the office of the county council assisting with rules and regulations for the conduct of their office. And, and I want to be clear that those rules and regulations are not going to be limited to their duties under this, uh, uh, this particular ordinance, but would um, speak writ large to the function of an office in general, including you know, civil service functionality, um, basic employees, and things that, that um, are required as part of setting up an office, and how does that work on a general basis. You know, compliance with county procurement rules, just the, the day-to-day functioning of, of an office, as opposed to their duties particular to um, the oversight board and the oversight function. So the inspector general is to supervise the employees in the office. They, you know, they, are, they are in particular required to have a log uh, for complaints that come in and go and contain various information that they have on those so they can track when uh, complaints came in and what they did with them um, and, and to notify the complaint of the disposition of the complaint after that, in fact, occurs. Um, that subsection is is fairly sparse, and there may be other things that you want to add regarding the duties of the inspector general. Um, there was not a lot in the report itself particular to that or, or even in other other ordinances that were available. As with the uh, oversight board, the sections regarding subpoena power and confidential information come from the statutory uh Uh, AB 1185, subsection C2. Um, Again, there's the other references to the role of county council regarding the issuance of subpoenas um, and uh, the process for the sharing of information once it is obtained. Those provisions, again, track almost indirectly. I do want to uh, call out concerns regarding the executive director, and I think in our last meeting in January on this topic, I raised some initial uh, thoughts about the potential conflict between the structure of the office of the inspector general with this executive director position and the role of the inspector general is it's him or herself and and it that is if you look at subsection a you see that the executive director is to be appointed by your board and so this is highly unusual that you have um, an individual who reports to another individual and both are appointed by your board. And, and so you have this uh, potential conflict, in the, and I think I mentioned in the last meeting, uh, the day-to-day supervision of the executive director by the inspector general is complicated by the fact that the executive director now has a direct line to your board as opposed to a line that runs through the inspector general you know, who's the supervisor? Who's doing performance evaluations? Who's uh, approving leave slips? Who's doing those kinds of day-to-day functions? And so um, I, I do want to encourage you to, to uh, perhaps reconsider this structure and and to remove yourself from uh, the appointment process for the executive director. Um, that doesn't mean that you could not have input on that individual or that person or that appointment, but I think that um, the appointing authority in this regard, and given the structure of the Civil Service Commission uh, merit system process, um, probably should be the Inspector General as opposed to your board. And that sort of eliminates some of the complicated nature of that, of that relationship. Um, however, the, you know, the roles and functions to be performed by whomever is in that position are, are stated in the, in the following provisions. They, they are really the liaison between the oversight board and the inspector's office, uh, making sure that they essentially staff the oversight board, providing them with the training resources they need, likely staffing for agenda and meeting purposes, organizing their day-to-day functions, assisting them with their actual needs as a functioning committee and body. Uh, more so staff at a, a very high level um, than as a, a sort of independent self a standing entity or other other body. So um, again, restating the cooperation and assistance mandate from your board—that again, all other county agencies and departments are to cooperate with the inspector general's office uh, to make the system function. Um, and then, uh, the conformity with applicable law section is one that was taken from the L.A. County ordinance. Um, making sure that we probably um, ad nauseum restate the limitations that we have and, and making sure that we don't interfere with the constitutional and statutory limitations. So that is the ordinance and i um, glad to try to answer any of your questions.
0: Thank you very much. Do we have any questions at this time? i could sure I'm happy to go first. Um, so thank you for the thorough presentation um some of the questions i'm going to ask you did already cover but just want to um hear these points again these are just from feedback from having this conversation my role here in the last year so just wanted to focus my questions around specific areas so with respect to independent counsel, um, what is the role of the office of county council as it relates to the proposed office of the inspector general.
4: So
3: your board has not made a final determination regarding the role of our office, either vis-a-vis the oversight board or the inspector general. Um, Our position remains the same and I think we have have given you substantial, your board substantial advice um, on, on why we have taken this position and that is that our, our office is required by various provisions of law to provide advice and counsel for um, certainly all county agencies and offices and departments, um, as well as boards and commissions. Um, in, in particular, with a board that is advisory to your board and has no independent authority or duties Absent your board having given them those functions and, and responses, um, whether it's the commission or the individual offices, they cannot be in conflict with you from a from a legal standpoint, and and so that is even more so true of the office of the inspector general, the inspector general, as well as the executive director. Um, they work for you; the buck ends. At your desk, you make the final decisions. If they take a position opposite of your position, um, they can't go sue you and say, "I disagree with you." Um, and so that's why we think it is it, the whole issue of isn't there a conflict with our office and these entities? Um, you know that that is not likely to occur. And if, as we have said historically on this topic. If there is a conflict vis-a-vis either the sheriff and the oversight board or the sheriff and the inspector general, essentially that becomes a conflict with your board. And in those instances, if if a conflict has to be declared and our office has to step back, we would step back from our representation of the sheriff's office. And there is a particular government code provision um, that allows the sheriff to even initiate a process in superior court to say, um, we believe there's a conflict we believe we the sheriff is entitled to independent counsel and that the board must pay for it so in that regard um, we think the the the, um, outcome is the same whether it's the board or or the office itself
0: counsel is it only the sheriff that can initiate that or can the oig that request
3: so the statutory provision in the government code mentions only the, the authority to initiate that legal process, oddly enough, by the sheriff, I, b- I believe the assessor, and I believe it's recently been amended to include the auditor controller. And, and that is because those are a few of the very few elected officials who have these truly independent functions from your board um, where, where they can have positions that are contrary to your board. Um, The cases all speak to things like the Civil Service Commission, where they have a function that is different from your board, where they can sue you and they can sue the county. Um, And and so these other groups and boards and commissions don't have that same type of authority and and, um, recognition as independent opinion decision makers in that regard
0: okay um you already touched a little bit on this but just wanted to be clear um can the proposed office of inspector general seek independent counsel if so what are the considerations that need to be accounted for
3: so the decision of whether independent counsel is required is one that is typically made based on attorney general opinions and elsewhere on a case-by-case basis um, and, and to determine whether or not county council is what is referred to as available. And availability can occur in a, a number of different modes, one of which is do we have the legal expertise um, in our office to handle that? And you'll see that sometimes in areas like um, bond counsel or bond transactions where we bring in outside counsel to assist us in those transactions. Availability can be do we have the appropriate staffing and an attorney bandwidth to cover a particular topic or do we need to bring someone on? In each of those instances, if outside counsel is retained, including, for example, through our risk management pool, those attorneys work through our office. They don't replace us, they supplement us. And so that's not a situation where we've declared a conflict and said our office can have no function or role in a particular matter. And to be clear, that happens in some instances, as your board likely recalls. Uh, We have declared a conflict regarding um, the EMS process where the fire department has declared that they intend to bid for um, performance of those services. So our office has said, look, this doesn't work. We can't advise the EMS agency, and we can't advise fire on this particular matter. And we have assisted the fire department in obtaining their own independent counsel to assist them specifically for that function, not for all purposes, but for that function. Um, so getting back to your question, I've wandered a bit here, I apologize. Um, we would have to look at each situation as it arose on an individual basis and determine whether or not we had a conflict which required the provision of independent counsel, whether it's for the oversight board for the, or for the Office of the Inspector General. And if it did, we would act accordingly advising your board of that conflict and getting your authorization to maintain uh, the funding and and other processes necessary to bring on appropriate qualified counsel for that particular matter. And I do want to add that if if those um, issues became um, so recurrent that it was felt like this isn't working or functioning on a, a broad basis, then certainly we would probably be the first to say, it's not functioning well it's not working an example would be in santa clara county where they said we're, we're not going to get involved we're going to give everybody independent counsel we're going to do this across the board they had a very unique situation there and, and including grand jury investigations and criminal charges and things of that nature that, that sort of pushed them to that point
0: point. and um does the board of supervisors have the authority to mandate the sheriff's attendance at the proposed oversight board Meetings?
3: In my opinion, you do not. And I, I do believe if you chose to add that language to the ordinance, you could do so. Um, but the sheriff would not be uh, obligated to comply with that. Um, I think, you know, historically um, there has been a. Well, I'll just leave that there. <laughs>
0: okay. Thank you. You did touch upon it earlier. And then um, non Alameda County retired law enforcement. Oversight Board eligibility. What is the rationale for allowing retired law enforcement not including the Alameda County Sheriff's Office? To be eligible for appointment to the proposed oversight board
3: So that came again from the steel report and so I can't speak to the rationale I believe there may be some discussion in the report itself um, Regarding that decision if you look at pages 52 and 53 of the report it does have some discussion on that particular issue about who, who should be a member and who should not. The, the issue, again, broadly in, in the enabling statute just says it should be a civilian body. And again, as I said before, you're excluding military and law enforcement. So once an individual is no longer law enforcement under the broad parameters of the statute, they would then be civilian and would be eligible absent your decision to have other disqualified provisions.
0: And then um, with respect to the rationale for allowing non-Alameda County residents to participate on the oversight board, um, is that just citing the still report as well?
3: That, that is the same answer.
0: Okay, so those are all my questions for now. We'll take questions from my colleague and then we're gonna open up to public comment specific to this presentation and then um, we'll go into uh, board direction from this committee. Thank you. All right.
2: <clears throat> First of all, I just want to thank uh, Andrew and County Council for drafting the ordinance. Um, this is um, really uh, uh, great work, good work, because I know the County Council's office is extremely busy, uh, short-staffed. Uh, we're, we've been asking a lot of you, um, and I know um, you in particular and the office in general has been really inundated with, uh, with a lot of work So I just want to acknowledge that to begin with um, that I very much value and appreciate what you've done uh, today to get us to this point. Now, in terms of the the content of the ordinance, so I think uh, that uh, subsection 010 uh, item I, uh, oversight uh, board, Shall be residents. That uh, that that particular provision in there. Uh, the concern around uh, legal counsel uh, and pending litigation adverse to the county. Uh, individuals serving as court-appointed monitors in a um, matter involving county of Alameda, Alameda, or current contractors. Yeah, uh, I know you flagged that because I do think that's a bit. Um, um, vague and overreaching so i think that needs to be tightened up um, either tightened up or, or eliminated because i do think it's just too uh, overreaching overarching um, so i wanted to flag that as well um, and then i know uh, supervisor marquez has already mentioned the fact that retired law enforcement officers uh, who are non uh, county sheriffs uh, would still be eligible for appointment. That's, that's my understanding, right? It doesn't mean they'll get appointed, but it, then they are eligible.
3: They would not automatically be disqualified. Okay. All
2: right. Uh, okay. And then I want to go to the subpoena power. So I, because I, we do recognize that that's an important function. So what strikes me when I when I was reviewing this is what if someone doesn't show up what's the um, the penalty for that what's how how, how someone compelled to uh, participate uh, with under the subpoena power and then if the person does participate and falsely um, testifies what's you know what's the ramifications of either not participating or falsely testifying
3: so the exercise of the subpoena power itself is, is governed by the, the California Civil Code. This ordinance just grants to these officials yeah. that authority. Um, and so how they exercise it is governed by state law. Um, typically, once a subpoena is issued, if there is noncompliance, then you have to go to a court mm. to get uh, you know, contempt provisions or otherwise uh, the standard types of enforcement that you would have in any other proceeding. And and so also it depends, uh, the the answer to your follow-on question regarding what are the ramifications, um, if they just don't show up, then it could be in fact contempt of court or or other penalties that a a judge would impose if that process were initiated. If they then appear and are not truthful in some way, um, the ramifications would depend upon uh, whether or not they were, for example, testifying under oath in a proceeding, in which case it would be perjury if they just come in and, and, you know, for example, someone standing before your board and, and, and are not truthful, there are no implications for that um, because it, it all it all devolves back to what is the process and, and how are they appearing. Okay,
2: So when someone is subpoenaed to come to the oversight body, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that they uh, will be uh, testifying under oath.
3: That's true. And I think it's going to be varied based on what they're there for and, and how the, the functions and procedures but are set. Will the
2: oversight body have the ability to um, require the person to testify under oath?
3: So that is part of the process where the legal counsel would provide advice and consult about how do you set up this process, uh, what rules are in play, um, can you in fact require someone to testify under penalty of perjury mm-hmm. of oath. Mm-hmm. And so those are t- likely to be determined based on the nature of the proceeding that's involved.
2: Okay. Then... Uh, the annual uh, section uh, 050 the annual report independent evaluation Uh, I do think this is important but in reviewing this so it says that there'll be an annual report to the Board of Supervisors then in um, uh, subsection B there'll be a three-year evaluation and it says every three years so every th- three years, we anticipate that there'll be an evaluation of, of. And is this evaluation limited to the oversight, or is the evaluation, What's the word I'm looking for, uh, uh, covers of oversight and Office of Inspector General?
3: The reference is to the, the oversight system, so it would be inclusive of the Commission, the oversight, Office of the Over- Inspector General the inspector general, the executive director, all of the mm-hmm. functionalities together. And, and again, this comes from page 56 of the steel report.
2: And is it every three years?
3: That, that was the recommendation in the report. Okay. But again, you have discretion to say maybe that's too frequent, maybe it's not frequent enough, and, and to, um, you know, whether you want to be prescriptive in the ordinance or you want to give yourself some room to say, or as otherwise directed by the board, You know, that is certainly language that could be added.
2: Okay. And then there will be an annual report every year prior to July 1st from the oversight body.
3: Correct. And now that's their self-report. This is what we did for this prior period. And they'll make
2: that report to the board of supervisors? Correct. Mm -hmm. The the oversight board would be... uh, Uh, clerked by the clerk's office right but uh, the executive director would have the responsibility for staffing it i
3: I don't believe that is addressed in either the report or certainly not in the ordinance regarding staffing Um, the executive director would be the liaison and the lead for those Mm -hmm. functionalities Um, i won't who's going to clerk
2: it I mean, somebody's got to take the notes. Yeah, and my, minutes my suspicion
3: and... is that might be staff within the office of the Inspector oh, General. Oh, really? Okay. Or it may be, but, you know, that, that okay. is yet to be determined.
2: Okay. Okay. Um, then I do think under section, under the Inspector General section dealing with section. executive director, um, I do think it's probably more appropriate that the executive director be a director, uh, hire uh, and and report to the inspector general. If the board of supervisors, if we are hiring the inspector general and the inspector general is accountable, is a direct report to the board, then I can see the executive director being a direct report to the inspector general. Um, I know we can modify that and change it if necessary um, after things have implemented upon a review. But I just think, based on what I'm hearing, that seems to be more um, um, conducive to effective um, governance. And then once again, I continue to play this out in my mind. So we have the citizen's oversight body. We have the Office of Inspector General that's, that's kind of Providing functions to get into uh, reviewing uh, procedures and things and uh, use of force, all of various matters relative to the Sheriff's Department. Uh, um, and then we've got the executive director that's staffing the oversight body. So, um, f- matters that come out of the oversight body and matters that come out of the Office of the Inspector General are. are Or is everything, and this is is kind of a a broad statement, but is everything a recommendation or is anything mandated? So like, can the oversight body mandate that something occur, or can the Inspector General's Office mandate that something occur, or does everything have to come to the Board of Supervisors to be um, decided upon? So
3: from a Day-to-day functionality, the oversight board does have the ability to require the inspector general to do certain things, and, and that includes, you know, look into this, follow up on this, mm-hmm. deal with this complaint, get citizen, you know, collect citizen input, you know, schedule our meetings, do those kinds of functionalities. When you're talking about big-picture decisions. Um, the, advisory, the acting as an advisory body, the oversight board must make recommendations. They can make recommendations in their reports. Uh, they can make recommendations regarding policies and other decisions, whether that goes directly to the sheriff or it goes first to your board. I think they have the ability to do either. And, and so um, they have that, that functionality that they're, again, they're working under your direction and they need to report to you but they do have the ability to say to the sheriff, um, we think you should change this policy, or we think you should consider adopting this policy. Before they make that recommendation, though, they first need to consult with the sheriff. Uh, before it's like, okay, we've asked you, what do you think? This is our tentative recommendation. You've responded, and you know, we're maintaining our tentative, or we're changing slightly, or we're, we're changing altogether. Um, so there is that flexibility for them to function without having to come to you on every issue and say um, board of supervisors this is what we think and this is what we want to do
2: okay so let me and this might not be the best of examples but i'm just trying to play this out in my mind so uh, we have the oversight body we have the office of inspector general so if the oversight body uh, let's say uh, uh, the sheriff's department uh, we've, we're looking at their Their policy relative to uh, uh, chasing suspects and the oversight body can say to the sheriff's department we recommend this that and the other and the sheriff could decide okay we will follow their recommendation or the oversight body could say that uh, we have this recommendation and bring it to the board of supervisors or the uh, uh, or the office inspector general they could say We'd like to see the mod the, the chase policy modified can the inspector general also inform the sheriff's department of that and the sheriff's department could then decide to modify it uh, can uh, does the office of inspector general have to bring that uh, recommendation to the board or to the oversight committee first um, or can the inspector general's office require it so I know I've asked all sorts of scenarios, but it's all i 'm using the chase policy as an example because right. i'm just trying to understand this in my own mind
3: so lots of variables there, and I, I don't think I've um, walked through that mental analysis uh, in such detail I, I do think that if if it, it is a recommendation that is initiated by the inspector general or the Office of the inspector general, they've been watching trends or doing monitoring, and they've said this is a problem, we think there's a better way to do it, we've researched national policies or regional policies, and we would make this recommendation. And I'd, I wouldn't would want to read the ordinance again, but I think that the Inspector General has two, two paths that they could follow. One, they could take it to the oversight board
5: mm-hmm. and
3: say, you know, here's our analysis, here's our review, what do you recommend? or because they have a direct line to your board, because the IG is appointed by your board, they could take it directly to your board. In which case, your board has a number of options. You could say, I think you should take that to the oversight board. You want to hear what they have to say. Mm-hmm. Or you could say, well, this is so clear and, and patently obvious, we're going to make that recommendation ourselves. I don't know that anything is foreclosed with either of those paths, but I will certainly reread the ordinance with okay. an eye toward that question. Okay. And,
2: and And once again um if, if just using the chase policy as an example if the recommendation was to modify that but if that interfered with the functioning the legitimate powers of the sheriff we couldn't say sheriff you got to change your chase policy we could only the board I'm saying the board could only recommend that
3: Right, and, and that's why I used the word recommendation, whether it came as a recommendation from the Oversight Board, the Inspector General, or your board. That clearly is a law enforcement function and, and process, um, and, and I don't think your board can compel the sheriff to change that policy. Right,
2: right. So I, so I know I just used that as an example, and I know ultimately when this gets approved, because I'm, I'm, I'm on record supporting oversight and Office of Inspector General, but all the mechanics associated with with the um, the implementation and the functioning of both of these bodies going forward Uh, i mean obviously there there might be some hiccups here and there uh, both on the part of everybody involved from the board to the public to the the um the two the the bodies inspector general and office of uh, and the oversight Uh, so i'm just trying to see how all this um, plays out in my mind so at least we have a sense of clarity um going forward even though i i do think there might be some stumbling blocks along the way i think that might be that might be all of my questions at the moment except does the do we need to have a provision in the ordinance dealing with uh Sanctions and penalties, or anything like that, for non-compliance.
3: Non-compliance by well, let's
2: suppose they do the subpoena, and somebody fails to show up, or um, let's suppose um, there's. uh, Let's see what might be another good, another possible
3: subpoena is likely a bad example because I think that is governed by the civil code. Yeah. Um, if if you're suggesting so for example we have the mandate that all offices and employees cooperate and, and, and assist and, and do those things um, that would be governed by internal disciplinary mm. processes and procedures for employees uh, so that's covered yeah. in do, well
2: do you need to put in a hair section at least that indicates uh, well you do have conformity with applicable law um,
3: you may or may not be surprised to hear that there is, in the Article 1 of our code, a, a standard penalty for any violation of an ordinance. It's a, a large sum of $25 per violation, but there, there is always a penalty of some sort. The question, I guess, is if you're looking to elevate that to a higher number. I'm, I'm just not sure you know, what a sanction would be mm-hmm. in, in this particular regard. We certainly can uh, revisit the ordinance with an eye toward toward that
2: question. Well, yeah, I think yeah, maybe just flag that, please, because it just seems like we might either need to spell that out or at least uh, by reference include that you know, it's contained in all these other uh, applicable administrative codes, government codes, um, state laws, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, all right, that's it.
0: Thank you, Um, we're going to open up to public comment and then I'll circle back for some guidance and input based off the presentation. Really appreciate all the work that's gone into this. So just to reiterate, we are on item number two, presentation and discussion of draft ordinance implementing AB 1185, including a Sheriff Oversight Board, Office of Inspector General, and Inspector General. So right now we're going to open public comment specific to this topic. If you start deviating, I will ask you. I will ask your mic to be turned off. We are going to have public comment as the last item, so that's for general comments pertaining to this committee. So we will now um, start with public comment specific to agenda item number two.
1: I'll alternate between in-person and online speakers. First, in-person speaker, Bob uh, Britton.
6: Thank you, I am Bob Britton, I live in Castro Valley. I'm with the Interfaith Coalition for Justice in our Jails, part of Faith in Action East Bay. In two minutes, I don't have enough time to cover all of our concerns, but let me try to cover a couple of them. First of all, I wanted to uh, give to the committee members through the clerk uh, document I'll be referring to later. in the proposed ordinance, um, well first of all I want to say that purpose of AB 1185 and Sheriff Oversight is not to direct the sheriff how to run the business of the jail or enforcement in the unincorporated areas it's to provide transparency and information to the public so I see that um, complaints are part of the process and even anonymous complaints. But what I don't see is reports of investigations that are conducted. The only real power under 1185 is the power of subpoena. And without that, uh, you can't conduct an investigation. But when you do conduct an investigation, the results of that should be made public. The um, On page three, item P says that the sheriff or senior ranking member designated by the sheriff may attend and participate in all of the oversight board. My question, maybe Ms. Weddle could clarify, is there a provision possibility of closed session, particularly if there's a legal issue surrounding subpoena, enforcement of a subpoena? Why should the sheriff be able to be involved in those discussions? And then the document I handed to you talks about a number of items. There were town halls in the end of 2021 that included the issue of retired police officers on the oversight board and the question asked was do you favor or do you not overwhelmingly people did not favor it over 70 percent in all three town halls rejected the idea of retired cops being on the caller you're
1: on the line we're on item two you have two minutes please unmute
7: Hello, my name is Lisa Nessen, and I'm an Oakland resident. Um, I'm calling and I appreciate this conversation because I feel strongly that there needs to be um, independent sheriff oversight. Um, it's long overdue. Um, I think it's interesting that the criteria for the people that would be in this position, um, the suggestion was made that there should be term limits. And I just want to point out that there are no term limits for the board of supervisors. Um, for people like Nate Miley who've been on the board for 22 years. Um, also there were some criteria about any um, about sexual harassment training for the people on the on this body and I'd also want to point out the irony that there have been sexual harassment allegations um, Nate Miley has been charged with sexual harassment um, in the past and also that the Um, There has been a grand jury that found that the Board of Supervisors needs to have um, an ethics commission and Nate Miley has blocked that and so it makes me question um, his ethics serving on the Board of Supervisors. Thank you.
1: Allison.
8: Allison Hayden, Allison for Congress a resident of Hayward. Uh, This entire process um, is under a country which was founded with checks and balances and independence of law enforcement. The sheriff's office has been the highest level of law enforcement. Um, But what I see seems to happen is that Power is being concentrated into the board of supervisors in this county by this. The IG is chosen by you. The IG is, uh, sorry, everyone reports to you. Now how do you, how are you then going to be measured? And who, I'm a teacher, who's measuring your performance? Policies have created the need for this Problem. The problem we have that we're trying to address, public safety, is indeed a, a matter of policy. We've, uh, sanctuary cities, we're inviting the evil. We're expanding the entitlements. We, more people are out of jobs, more desperate. This causes crime. This is policy driven. And yet in this configuration, everything goes back to you guys. Well, how do we measure you? You are supposed to be accountable and the sheriff directly to the people. Yet, in this configuration, you create the board that reports to you just as the election commission. You create that board who sits on it. And they report to you. The whole thing goes back to you. It will not long stand. The people will not stand for this. You and the sheriff are dire- directly accountable to the people. Thank
1: Caller, you're on the line. We're on item two. You have two minutes.
9: Jean. Hi, this is Jean Moses. Um, I live in <clears throat> Lena Tams District, and I represent Faith and Action East Bay. Um, County Council has suggested that the oversight body is not entitled to independent counsel because the body is directly responsible to the Board of Supervisors. Because of that direct tie, I imagine that the board has the authority to hire independent counsel as it sees fit and can therefore decide that the oversight body will have access to independent counsel at all times or on a case by case basis. And because of the long standing challenges faced by the Alameda County Sheriff's Office, including numerous ongoing lawsuits. I believe that it is necessary and appropriate for the Board of Supervisors to appoint independent counsel for this proposed oversight body from the very beginning so that the oversight can be rigorous and independent of what else is going on in the county. Thank you very much.
10: Tuan. Tuan has to go to a press conference, but he can give me his two minutes. Um, the 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 Sheriff Oversight Commission is very similar to the policy that was adopted by Oakland, the failed policy of Police Commission. The reason the mayor of Oakland cannot appoint a police chief and leave us deprived of a head of police during our crime wave is because of the dysfunction of the Oversight Police Commission. You guys are considering failed policy that Oakland adopted that resulted in the chaos and the killing of businesses and people on the ground. Let me tell you how the Oversight Commission actually works. They're hiring 22 dedicated investigators looking into police misconduct for, contact, for context We have less than 700 officers for a city of 430,000 residents. At any one point, we only have about 35 active officers on patrol. In the legislative ordinance that is being proposed, they're asking for investigators. They're asking for subpoena powers. How that plays out on the ground is things like chase policy. You can't chase if a criminal abducts a lady, which happened on International Boulevard, because they went over 50 miles an hour because of the no chase policy. CHP doesn't have that restraint. The dedicated investigators looking into police misconduct has a chilling effect handcuffing law enforcement from providing basic public safety purposes and the subpoena of powers means that if somebody complains and say, I'm not happy with what you're doing in terms of policing, they're stuck writing reports. That means more than 50% of their time is policing themselves writing
11: reports.
1: Caller, you're on the line. We're on item two. You have two
12: minutes. I heard Quakers, uh, President of the United Nations Association and blind issues. And I want to associate with Ms. Hayden's comments. We need accountability and we need uh, certainly independent thinking on the Inspector uh, General's uh, committee and that committee has to be appointed by someone other than the sheriff. That's all.
0: Um, Thank you caller. It was a bit difficult to understand. You want to make sure that the committee um, receives your comments so if you could please Email your comments to cbs at because it was difficult to, to hear the comments. Thank you.
1: Caller, you're on the line. We're on item two. You have two minutes. Hello. <clears throat> so
11: we've been watching the progress of this committee for some time now. And it's mind-boggling how it has expanded into now a quasi-judicial committee that can subpoena. I understand that was an initial original provision, but it's amazing to see me see you all sitting here debating whether or not they can have somebody testify under penalty of perjury. We have a court system for a reason. We don't need this humongous overgrowth, this waste of taxpayer money, why can't our our original systems be used? There's enough code to choke a horse to deal with anything that is problematic within the sheriff's department. There, there should be no scope of this committee, but it doesn't seem like there's even a limited scope. So what's to say all of a sudden this committee decides that the gov- the sheriff that is going to not enforce unconstitutional laws needs extra punishment for that i don't see any based on the conversation today and the mental gymnastics between county council and and supervisor miley i don't see how anything there are any checks and balances on this committee these people are going to and why are we allowing any sort of resident from outside the county to sit on this who are these people They don't live here. They they aren't affected by these types of things. No one from outside the county should be sitting on anything that the county, our taxpayer dollars, generates. We have enough going on. People were damaged during the last four years of terrible public policy. We don't need anything else. Just focus on what you already have on your plate. Thank you.
1: Caller, we're on item two. You have two minutes, Richard.
13: Hi, this is Richard Spiegelman. I'm with the Interfaith Coalition for Justice in Our Jails. Um, And I want to say that despite my appreciating much of the work of Wendy still over the last few years, I don't think she got it right on some of the issues that have come up here today. For example, I do not think people from out of county should be uh, eligible to sit on the the, uh, commission uh, I don't think any current or former law enforcement officer should be on the commission, uh, precisely because their word may be taken with much more authority than real uh, private folks. Um, <clears throat> and um, I'm also concerned about the the board uh, or the commission and the IG having access to uh, its own legal counsel, but I don't want to go into that at this moment because there's so little time to talk. I am concerned about at what point the IG might be able to intervene if the investigation going on of a death or some other uh, terrible activity in the, in the jail, if it was go- just dragging on. Is there some point at which the IG could say, okay, we're stepping in here. You guys had your chance and you haven't really uh, pursued it. And then finally, this is maybe an obscure thing. I don't remember um, it being discussed in the presentation today, but um, on page seven of the document, in section O, it says that the um, board or the IG, I don't know which, shall transmit forthwith to the sheriff any complaint received by the OIG. And I just wonder if that's right. Uh, there might be some times when the OIG needs some time to think through what does this mean? What are the implications uh, to, to take a little pause? Uh, thanks so much for your consideration.
1: Caller, you're on the line. We're on item two. You have
14: two minutes. Luann. Good morning. This is Luann McKeever. I live in Castro Valley. Uh, thank you for this meeting today. Um, I'm commenting um, Uh, this committee creating this committee creates a voice larger than my own and the sheriff is set up the sheriff position is designed that I vote for the sheriff and I have said this before at meetings so this is nothing new for you to hear but every individual is the oversight committee and if we have a problem going on Again, I agree with Catherine, this is the policies that are in place that cause these problems, that create more policy, that attempt to solve those problems, but create more problems. And the problem with this is giving a higher voice than the system was designed to do. Now there was an example of the police commission that I guess had been created um, and the problems that that has. Well, the police is a different structure. I can't vote for my police chief. I do that through the mayor. Well, that was the way Emil Piedis, I don't know about here. I do vote for the sheriff. That is how it is structured. And when you add other items in between me and my elected official, you're hijacking the original government system that was created. That is the people to those that they put in place to serve the people, not to rule over the people. And we were becoming much more of a rule over county than in than the individual speaking their way at the ballot especially when we have concerns over how the elections are handled so let's clean up the elections let's clean up the policies let's implement some common sense solutions to this thank you caller you're on the line we're
1: on item two you have two minutes
7: hi thank you um i would like to say that i really think that um at this point it's been too long we need to have an investigation into nate miley's ethics the grand jury found that um there was a need for countywide ethics commission i'm sorry we're taking comments on item
0: number two your comments had to be specific to the agenda item
1: THANK YOU. CALLER, WE'RE ON ITEM TWO. YOU HAVE TWO MINUTES. BRUCE?
15: YES, uh, BRUCE Schmeichen, uh FROM OAKLAND. Um, FIRST OF ALL, I THINK a, a NUMBER OF THE FOLKS HERE HAVE COMPLETELY MISUNDERSTOOD WHAT THIS BOARD IS ABOUT, WHICH IS REALLY ABOUT OFFERING A PLACE FOR THE COMMUNITY TO COME learn um have discussions town halls etc as at least with the advocates who've been working on this in conjunction with you know advising the board etc of our thoughts coalition that this is the place where the public can actually get a grasp of what's going on with the sheriff's department and the sheriff's department includes the county jail and there have been enormous costs to the county because of problems in the county jail, lawsuits, uh, deaths, abuse, etc. Okay, leaving that alone, I'll just say that uh, independent counsel is absolutely key. We've said this over and over. It's not listened to all the community meetings. It was absolutely supported Um, law enforcement. There will be plenty of law enforcement input to this group, to this commission. Because the sheriff will be communicating with them, they'll be working with the sheriff. This isn't an oppositional thing, but it is to gain transparency. And in that regard, I also think we have to consider the diversity of the board. And I would suggest that the selection panel choose four members. One thing I will say, I know this is not like the Oakland Police Commission. They can't fire the sheriff or anything, make policy they can advise, but the Oakland Police Commission has nine members. Two of them are non-voting alternates, but they're full participants. And having observed that commission for years, it's apparent to me that there's a workload among these people that could be divided among nine easily, especially given the fact that the jail is a big piece of this uh, oversight.
12: So thank you.
1: Caller, you're on the line. We're on item two. You have two minutes, Sandy.
16: Hi, thank you. My name is Sandy Kurtz. I live in district four and I am chair of the Alameda County chapter of the ACLU. I wanna address one really specific issue and that's the idea of retired law enforcement. Um, I appreciate the county council reiterated that the original um, bill called for civilian oversight. And so, yes, we're saying we won't have any current law enforcement, but somehow you seem to have the idea that the minute somebody retires, their whole mindset changes. Um, maybe that's because you haven't retired yet, but I've been retired for four years. I was a healthcare professional. I still think like a healthcare professional. I still talk like a healthcare professional. I still relate to other healthcare professionals as a healthcare professional. And I can certainly well imagine with the deep culture that's entrenched in law enforcement, that any person who has been in law enforcement continues to carry that as part of their identity and their way of dealing with the world. So no, I don't think we should make an exception for retired law enforcement. It should be no law enforcement on the board at all. Thank you.
1: Caller, you're on the line, we're on item two. You have two minutes.
17: I have to admit, I'm I'm new to this uh, uh, item today, but just my general input here, and, and a conscientious uh, community member. Um, I can see that there's just too many layers of government, and you know everything does come back to your own integrity. So I'm listening intently to um, our. County Supervisor President uh, Smiley um, talking about stumbling blocks and really trying so hard to figure this out and see if it makes sense. And I can just say to you all here that uh, we uh, we fundamentally we need a constitutional sheriff. We need to, all of us need to study more the Constitution. You know our 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 freedoms. Our, you know our, our our basic ten. All of us we're really uneducated and i mean that you know it's something you need to be constantly studying so that we can make better decisions and realize our value isn't coming from the government but it comes from our own just god-given you know value so what i just want to say is that i just see more layers and i'm not and i i would say just in my gut i'm against this oversight the way it's set up oversight is a good word because you all need oversight we all need somebody to keep us accountable because we all are, you know, we all like to fudge a little bit, right? But I just really feel that this is, uh, again, too many layers. And I have lived in um, other enslaved countries, communist countries. And most people who have come from that background, um, they can smell this in our country now. We're losing that foundation of, respe- of, of, of freedom, real freedom and values. That is really what is the key to bring us together So I would just say right now, I put this on hold. I do not agree with this oversight. Thank you.
1: Caller, you're on the line. We're on item two. You have two minutes, Saida.
8: Thank you, Saida Inamdar with the League of Women Voters. I'm just calling to add um, our voice to the request for independent legal counsel. We feel it is um, a critical component Um, as it um, provides um, the appearance of any sort of conflict. And um, thank you for all the effort. Uh, I'm glad we've at least gotten this far. Thank you.
1: Caller, you're on the line. We're on item two. You have two minutes, Pamela.
4: Yeah, my name is Pamela Drake and I live in Oakland and I was very involved with the Uh, Police accountability struggle that we've been in in Oakland for years and it's quite different with the county. And that's as you all have said, the sheriff is elected and the sheriff has an office separate from the board. And has a lot more power than, say, the chief of police. So it's even more important if there's independent counsel. And it's not in the way that it, that your county council described, a, you know, some sort of picayune issue that we disagree on. It's really the fact that the county council's job is to defend the sheriff, even when they've done they've committed some real wrongdoing and it's to defend the county from the liability that the sheriff causes. So they have a completely different position in terms of the kind of oversight that we need. We cannot have people who must At the same time, have one eye on the liability the sheriff might be causing and the other eye on saying, well, we're going to try and do oversight, but we really can't because after all, the sheriff has their own rights, they have their own office. This is absurd because the power imbalance is so bad here. You need to give more balance to the more power to the civilian commission, which must be made of civilians. And that does not include people who have been law enforcement throughout their lives. Thank you.
1: I have no more speakers for item two.
0: Thank you so much. So I want to thank everyone today for their thoughtful and detailed discussion regarding these efforts. Um, As a next step, I'm respectfully requesting that our colleagues on the board be given the opportunity to weigh in on two proposed ordinances. The first being the draft presented to this committee today in its current form. And then a second draft that includes amendments based upon today's discussion as well as the consistent community feedback we have heard leading up to today. Um, specifically in the second amendment draft, I'd like to um, include authorize independent counsel for the Office of Inspector General. Um, I'm gonna try to Select my words carefully here. Right now I have down, strongly encourage the sheriff or senior ranking member of the sheriff's office designated by the sheriff to attend and participate in all meetings of the oversight board in alignment with Sheriff Sanchez's stated accountability platform. Exclude the appointment of all current or former law enforcement agency employees as well as non-Alameda County residents to the oversight board. Um, I also am in support of the idea of having the executive director hired by the inspector general. I know there was a request for direction in other areas. I don't wanna further complicate the years of work that had gone into getting us to this point. So I am relieved the fact that built into the ordinance is the three year evaluation. Um, So I will just wanna at this time focus on presenting to the full board two proposed ordinances as I just outlined. I do have a question for county council with respect to next steps. What is the proposed timeline? I know we have a severe staffing shortage specifically in your office so what would be um an ideal timeline to bring these two ordinances back to the full board
3: so to the full board and not to this board you do not want to see a draft before it goes no to the the full board um good question (laughs) my apologies for the pause um I think we would at a minimum need about two weeks to make this happen. Obviously we have the vast majority of the information is here and these are uh, edits to that document so it exists. Uh, I would think we could probably have it ready in the next two to three weeks. Is within
0: 30 days reasonable?
3: I believe that is more than reasonable.
0: Okay, thank you.
2: So... so uh, if we're we're going to try to bring two options to the board ordinance options to the board uh, within about 30 days Uh, so that would be towards the latter part of march or the first part of april to get it agendized for the full board and at that board meeting We'd probably want to make this a set item, so I'll talk to the county administrator about that. Okay. And I think uh, I think the, the, the fact that the chair is asking for those two options, I think that's uh, very appropriate. And I do think uh, it'll be interesting to see around these these controversial aspects of oversight and office inspector general i do think the the things that remain controversial is independent counsel and i I do believe with independent counsel we've received a confidential memorandum from the county council's office relative to independent counsel um i don't know if you want to say any more about that today or if we want to just i know that we 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 we're not releasing the confidential memo um but i don't know if you want to say any more about that today or if you just want to wait until this matter gets before the full board once again.
3: So, Supervisor, I uh, certainly, with uh, there being a confidential memo and no waiver of uh, privilege related to that memo, um, I'll be very circumspect in what I do or don't say in that regard. Um, I can reiterate sort of generally what we have said openly in public meetings historically, and and that is... The, the overriding concept here is that your board holds the authority for oversight of the sheriff's office by statute in, in the government code. Um, the formation of an advisory body that is to assist you in the performance of that function uh, does not mean that that body can, can operate separately, independently, and outside of what you can do. You can only give to them the authority that you have to give to them, which is the nature of the delegation of certain authority to a body. You can't give what you don't have. And and in that regard, the analysis is, uh, for independent counsel, as that independent body, can they take a position different from your board or outside of your board such that they would initiate actions Um, with uh, legal counsel assistance or advice that you can't or won't do. And so that's why uh, the analysis is that our office advises your board. And there could be conflicts between your board and the sheriff's office, and that's addressed by statute, and that process exists. We recognize that. But again, as I stated earlier today, and we have said in the past, if there is a conflict between your board and the folks who you have delegated authority to, such as the advisory oversight body, then that conflict is resolved by giving the sheriff their independent counsel, not your board or the other body, except in extremely rare instances when our office bows out altogether.
2: So it'd be, <clears throat> it'd be helpful for me, and I'm, I'm sure for the rest of the board members, if for- we're we're going to have an, the two ordinances coming to us, one for independent council and one without independent council um, uh, towards the latter part of March or first part of April. So I think it would be helpful when, when this is agendized that we have a, a, a closed session on this just so we can get one uh, thoroughly briefed on county council's analysis and then make sure we can get our questions asked and answered in closed session um, before we take up the ordinances you know it can happen the same day but i'm just thinking it's going to be helpful to have a closed session on this okay then um i I do believe that i don't i mean i don't i don't see any reason why we have to have folks uh eligible to be appointed who live outside the county uh, and i know we're going to have an ordinance uh, an option that indicates that so uh because I, I i don't think that's germane or really that significant and and i'm not necessarily and i can kind of i trying to recall in the second ordinance does it uh, call for all former law enforcement not to be eligible okay in the second version okay because once again I do think there's merit in allowing for former law enforcement officers to be a possible uh, eligible to be appointed, and I've kept saying it doesn't mean that they will get appointed, but uh, when the ordinance comes forward, I'm not gonna hold up an ordinance on that particular point. If, the, if a majority of the board feels that we shouldn't have any former law enforcement officers eligible, I'm not going to vote against that particular um, uh, aspect of an ordinance because I keep saying, let's not let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And I do think um, that's not something I'm going to, you know, die on my sword around. Um, Then the other thing is I think the the second ordinance – doesn't do anything in terms of tinkering with the appointment the board will still make appointments to the the oversight body and then there'll be an advisory body that'll recommend names to us to uh, appoint the two out at large okay so that's that stays the same okay and let's see Think those are the I think that provides clarification so I'm really appreciative that, that the, the chair wants to advance this to the full board so the full board can take up an ordinance um, it's taken us a while to get to this point in time um, I I do believe um, we could we possibly could have gotten here sooner but and we had an election that uh, provided for a new sheriff so the new sheriff had to come in and Um, put her moniker on what it is she felt needed to be done and that took place and we had the unfortunate passing of two supervisors uh, and the two new supervisors that joined us had to come in and get a sense of uh, oversight and office inspector general and put their um, you know their construct around this and understanding around this and I think that's uh, taken place and then I know the former chair of the committee uh, supervisor Valle uh, wanted to have a very thorough community engagement uh, process uh, uh, before uh, we were to move ahead with any type of uh, ordinance. And that took place, and Wendy, St- Wendy Steele was um, kind of spearheading that. And then, you know, we had the pandemic, obviously, that really took up a lot of time, energy, that was not anticipated um, so all in all, with a pandemic, with new people coming on the board, with a new sheriff, um, with extensive community engagement, um, we're finally to a place where this can be advanced to the, to the full board to enact an ordinance. And then it's my understanding, once we do enact an ordinance, keep my fingers crossed, because I'm confident we will enact an ordinance relative to oversight and office of inspector general, If we get that in place uh, this spring, then what's the next steps after that? Uh, Because I know at our last public protection committee meeting, we had some feedback from the staff relative to our next steps. So I don't know if um, the county administrators, office and HR wants to just outline uh, what they envision as the next steps in the timeline, generally speaking, relative to those next steps. Because if we enact the ordinance, I know we've got to... there are a number of things we need to do relative to the budget, relative to personnel, relative to this, that and the other. So maybe you could could speak to all that um, from the county minister's office perspective and then HR.
18: Thank you, Supervisor. Uh, it's my understanding that your previous actions already give us a sufficient uh, direction to move forward with respect to... Um, moving forward with the process of hiring a project director who would then um, initiate the implementation of the process. I think part of the, uh, I guess I would say, logistical challenge of moving forward with that is working working through some of the questions with respect to um, you know, where is that direction going to come from um, for us to you know, further define what what that position would look like so i mean i'll defer to the the uh, interim hr director for uh, additional specifics with respect to the the hiring and recruitment process but i do believe that uh, your board has already taken action with respect to giving us the direction to move forward with the recruitment
2: so uh, so melanie so the, what you've stated is we've, we're going to bring on a project Person And that project person will then have the responsibility for marshalling all these a- various aspects forward
18: Yes, it's my understanding that was the recommendation of the still report that we move forward with uh, A project director who would help with the implementation process uh, To then get us to establishing the office of the inspector okay. general as well as the oversight board um, all of those components will help us And the the timing of that process will help us determine what is appropriate to include in the developing budget. Um, We already have the authority to initiate the recruitment process um, within existing resources in the current year budget to hire the project director. So then the question is, you know, depending on how that process moves forward, how will we then identify what's necessary by way of resources for the 24-25 budget?
2: Does the project director... Is that a a county employee, or can it be a consultant?
19: If I may, uh, Margarita Zamora, Interim Director of Human Resource Services. The project director, we're looking at a broad range of options. Um, We're looking at what is the most expedient way and the best qualified individual. As Melanie noted, there are certain questions that we have relative to that position, Uh, or even the structure, um, reporting, authority. um, And I think some of those answers are part of the ordinance. They're going to be very insightful in setting forth the process that the project manager, project director will then integrate into spearheading uh, the project.
2: Let's be clear on this. The project manager, project director... That person is not the inspector general. That person is not the executive director. That person is just taking all this and handling the components to move forward, working with all of you and others.
19: That is correct. So there's the ordinance and, and the still report that says for sort of a, the, the guidance and the framework of the project. Uh, and the project manager will take a look at, okay, we need to f- hire Here's the process for the executive director, the um, the inspector general. The uh, um, is there a need for an ombudsman and help that process through?
2: Okay, and I'm trying to recall. Maybe staff knows, or maybe the chair knows. So will this, will uh, all this um, work associated with moving this forward? Is, is this coming back to this committee? And do we have a kind of a time frame associated with? Yeah, you know, I, let, yeah, yeah, so I, let's suppose I, we're successful getting the ordinance. The priority getting is getting the ordinance mm-hmm. adopted
0: within 30 days, and then once that is done, um, next steps will continue to be tracked through this committee.
2: So, if the board gets the ordinance in March or early April, it requires two readings. So possibly we could have an, an effective ordinance around, I'm just projecting maybe by May, maybe.
3: So I do want to call out the um, potential for a delay between first and second reading related to um, the MMBA and whether or not there is a, an obligation uh, by our board to first meet and confer with any affected unions uh, regarding the proposed content of the ordinance and so once your board does first reading we'll have a clear understanding of what is likely to go forward to second reading and at that time we would do the final analysis to determine whether or not we would have to do e- whether it's effects bargaining or other bargaining with the individual employee uh, groups and that could easily delay Substantially delay second reading and adoption.
0: Thank you for adding that. That's very important information for the public to be aware of. So thank you. Um, so in closing, I just want to again thank Chief Assistant County Counsel Andrea Weddle for your time and effort to capture the Board of Supervisors approved AB 1885 framework, which was informed by the Reimagine Adult Justice Initiative led by Wendy Still and initiated by my predecessor, Richard Viatt. I also wanna thank the community for their interest and engagement with Alameda County's creation of the Sheriff's Oversight Body. And finally, I wanna thank President Miley, who was the first person to request a referral on this item to bring it to this committee back in December of 2020. So yes, governance is, but this is the reality. This is how long it takes. So it's, there has not been delayed, it's not been deliberate. This is um, a lot of moving parts here. So just thank you for um, your leadership on that. this and just wanna encourage the public to consider subscribing to my monthly newsletter, to follow us also on social media as we consistently provide updates to the work that's being done under Public Protection Committee meeting. Um, so the last item on our agenda Ma- is- Madam
3: Chair, if, if I yes. might, just for clarity in the record, you made a motion that included uh, these five points for the optional draft ordinance. Am I to assume, or can we clarify for the record that we have a motion and a second in consensus? to <laughs> I, I didn't
0: state it in a form of a motion, but I'm happy to for clarity. Um, so let me find my notes just to make sure that I'm clear. I don't know that you
3: need to restate. Okay, so
0: I will ma- So basically, my request with respect to the second um, amended ordinance, I would like to move that forward in a form of a motion. Is there a second? Yes. Okay. I'm in favor. You're in favor. We've captured the roll call vote. Okay, so thank you for that clarification. So we will now move on to public comment. Again, this is public comment for items under the purview of this committee. And um, we will allow two minutes and go ahead and proceed. Thank you.
1: I'll alternate between in-person and online speakers for public comment. First in-person speaker, Tuan.
10: I keep coming in front of you because we have public safety issues and I'm on the ground talking to owners who are closing their shops and they're not being able to hang on. They reach out and call 911, there's no emergency response service whatsoever. The police that we have in place is stretched thin. Like I say, for a city of 430,000, at any one point we have about 35 active patrol officers. One of the dysfunction is the failed policy of oversight that have basically demoralized demoralized our police officers and prevent them from doing their job to protect the public. It's not working in Oakland. Why are we looking into spreading this countywide without consulting with the officers and say, hey, how is this working out for your community? What does it look like on the ground? That's critically important to have that insight on the ground and input, I asked simply for that so that we could have a functioning police safety because we don't have that in Oakland. You're adopting policy that we know what it looks like on the ground in Oakland. How can you fix it for the county before you implement it broadly? Something that basically has failed in Oakland with gaping loopholes is not ready. From what I've seen, the subpoena requires discovery. That means officers, are terrified to do their jobs. They can't protect the public because of the policies that is being imposed on them. 22 dedicated investigators looking into police misconduct. 22 handcuffs that prevent these people from protecting our residents. The results speak for themselves. I simply show up to speak the truth. Nobody's paying me. It's ridiculous that we have to go through this. And I'm begging you to do what's right to protect everybody.
1: You're on the line. We're on public comment. You have two minutes.
9: Hi, this is um, Jean Howard Moses, and I wanted to make two points. One is that the um, county council said that she could handle these ordinances in two to three weeks, and Supervisor Marquez suggested that we could get back to the um, full board um, in the next month, and that would be March 26th. So I'm hoping that um, we do stick to that 30 day timeline as opposed to what Supervisor Miley suggested, which was late March or early April. And that's just, um, you know, a strong urge to keep this thing moving and also an observation that while there have maybe not been delays from some people's points of view, from the point of view of the public, there have been periodic delays in consideration of the implementation of oversight, so please move it forward. The other thing is that um, County Council mentioned that things might be delayed by um, an obligation to meet and confer, and that is the kind of thing that I thought County Council would be expert at, and I'm a little surprised that she can't tell us now whether there is a need to meet and confer. Um, I I hope that we don't have to wait until the last minute to identify that as a possible delay in implementation of Sheriff Oversight. Um, So those are my two points. Thank you for your hard work. Allison?
8: I want to speak to the matter of the consent of the governed. That's what the basis of this country is. Government, you serve us. You are hereby structuring uh, citizens, which you decide who is gonna be on the board. They are going to report to you. The IG is appointed by you, reporting to you. This is nothing but government overreach. The whole notion of the charter change also, reverting the appointed power to you of any recalled election or any official, and removing the county council is appointed by you. The administrators appointed by you. When do we have accountability of you? Well, it's through the elections. But ha, we already sunk that ship. You, won't, you were totally unresponsive during the election period of all the violations of the elections uh, registrar and the people's oversight. We couldn't get near enough to see anything. We didn't see a ballot. We didn't see an envelope. We weren't allowed to get near. Everyone complained, you did zippity do. You don't care about the people. You have, there are Brown Act uh, violations lawsuit right now pending. I have my complaint, you did nothing. I was arrested, put in jail overnight. You knew that. That didn't happen in isolation. And when I get discovery of all all the communications, we're gonna find out what sifts out. And we need to have accountability, we need to have the consent of the governed,
0: not your governance. Um, I just want to remind everyone that you could speak to comments specific to this committee, but it's important that you don't discuss the previous item we already discussed. We already opened public comment for that item. Thank you.
1: Caller, you're on the line. We're on public comment. You have two minutes. Kelly?
12: Yeah, this is Kelly uh, The This is the Public Protection Committee, and this committee, uh, as we just heard, oversees the time frame associated with uh, various things, for example, the ambulance contract, and this committee is tracking carefully how well the administrative process conforms to the scheduled timeline. And I'm sure that all of you have forgotten that last October, um, the director of the Human, of uh, Health Services, uh, Ms. Chawla, told your board that we submitted the RFP for approval in February 2023, and of, as of September 2023, the RFP hadn't been approved by the state. Uh, That was scheduled to be approved last July. So we have now a seven-month delay um, in the RFP approval project. Now, after the state approves, it'll take another eight months for your board to approve, according to her timeline that she gave you um, last February 2023. That was a year ago. And another year or year and a half to launch a new service. So when you add that up, eight months plus another year and a quarter, That's what two years or something and your deadline is the middle of 2026 to launch a new service so but uh, your board has sat quietly while your staff has, uh, you know, let this uh, approval process drag on for an unscheduled seven month delay starting last July. And your board that oversees the time frame and the performance to this scheduling, to the, to the timeline, the milestones, all those things, your board is not uh, monitoring, not overseeing, not going back to your staff, your uh, LEMSA uh, agency, and figuring out what's been happening for the last seven months.
1: Thank you. Caller, you're on the line. We're on public comment. You have two minutes, Tracy.
5: Yes, thank you so much. Uh, Tracy Rosenberg, resident of Alameda County in Supervisor Carson's district, and also with Oakland Privacy. I just wanted to check in on a process that I thought was pending through this committee, but which I haven't seen. Um, During the uh, military equipment approval process, which had been ensuing for the past couple of months, it came up, there were a couple of revisions that were going to be made to the usage policy for drones by the county, by the Sheriff's Department. Uh, Those um, revisions, which basically involved uh, authorized purposes and the retention of data, were not controversial. The Sheriff actually agreed that these changes should be made. And my understanding was that the agreement was that the revised policy in draft form would come to the Public Protection Committee in January. It was not on the January agenda. it's not on the February agenda. So I just wanted to check in about the status of that process. If perhaps you decided to route it a different way that information wasn't clear or I didn't hear it, but we're certainly hoping those revisions, which again, nobody was disagreeing with, that we're aware of, um, are, are still going forward, and it would be great to get an update about how and when that will be happening. Thanks. Caller, you're on the line. We're on
14: public comment. You have two minutes. Luann. Good morning, Luann McKee free Castro Valley. Um, I'd like to request that the Public Protection Committee have a meeting discussing and advising the public of the um, migrant caravans that have been coming through for the past three years, perhaps longer, in through the Southern border. Uh, Texas, as you are aware, has over 21, uh, over 21 states of the United States have sent individuals to um law enforcement individuals down to the border to close the border but as the texas border becomes more and more difficult to come through there's two borders that are left that's arizona and california uh those the uh caravans are not going to turn around they're going to find the next leaky location to come and that's our state as a sanctuary state as a sanctuary county as a sanctuary mentality We consider, I guess, the border opening a good thing, but it may not be a good thing. We're here talking about uh, security in our own community. So I'd like to see that the Public Protection Committee, your board, bring to the public the information of what is going on at the border, how it is affecting our county, where the money is coming from, where the people are housed, where their medical is and just uh, bring us up to date on a few things that seem to be uh, unavailable to us to find. So thank you very much. I hope that you will take my suggestion.
1: Caller, you're on the line. We're on public comment. You have two minutes.
17: Yeah, um, wow, Following on, on the heels of that, those statements there. And the word jumps out at me, the word useful idiots. The destructive destructive policies and culture of the woke and Marxist agents uh, have brought America to a brink of existential crisis. By um, manipulating the meaning of words and creating a false identity crisis, they have masked their true intentions. They seek to destroy our backbone of one nation under God and replace it with a culture without God. So without knowing the errors, these small errors in human history that have caused so much pain and so much suffering among you know, humankind, we're just doomed to repeat it. And you know, I hear today, honestly speaking, a lot of gobbledygook. I know, I know a professor, a couple of them got together and wrote these academic papers, and, and about eight of them, and five of them got accepted. They made nonsense. They meant nothing. In our, This is to the highest level of our academia. So Abraham Lincoln said, what happens in your classrooms will be reflected in your culture. And right now, we have dumbed down our education system. We brought in the DEI, the Marxism, communism, uh, dividing people and not coming from character, from heart, from values. We're not talking about one religion. We're talking about principles uh, that connect with truth and love. And I see, I see here um, very uneducated people about the world. I'm talking about our leadership here. Really uneducated and really callous and really rationalizing their viewpoint. The mind can say whatever you want. You believe, you, you, I know you believe what you believe. It's not correct. Please study right now how communism is here in our country.
1: I have no more speakers for public comment.
0: Thank you so much. Our next meeting will be on Thursday, March 28th, 2024. And for members of the public interested about future meetings, please subscribe to our my newsletter in District Two. Thank you.
1: Thank you.